the treasure of Jesus. Man, that is a, a marvelous thought. And um, as you turn in the scriptures to Luke chapter 12, and there's a, a chair Bible in front of you, I really need you to open up the scriptures today. We have a lot of verses to cover. But as you're looking in, in uh, finding Luke chapter 12, um, just a couple of things where we can really treasure Jesus. Uh, there's two save the dates in your program. And uh, one is for our ladies about a month off of Bethmore simulcast. It's a time for you to come and get away and be with the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, renew your faith, your commitment, your trust in him. And then there's one a little further out for our men. And uh, we're going to be going away the end of October for two nights. It'll be a Friday night through Sat uh, Sunday noon. So men will not be in church that morning. We'll be at church up at the camp in Oklahoma. You'll start hearing some more announcements about that. $85. We'll start sign up on that pretty quick. But just a time to get away. Block that whole weekend out. Don't do just part of it, but the whole full experience to get away and, and just look at our brokenness and uh, to treasure the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the theme for this morning is to be ready. You know, when you play baseball and uh, the manager comes up with a starting lineup, he posts it in the dugout, and uh, you've got to be ready. You can't say if your name's on the list, oh, wait, let me go get my uniform on. Let me stretch. Let me find my equipment. You cannot get ready. You have to be ready. The same can be said if you're going out on a date to make a good impression. The boy has to arrive at the door on time. And ladies, you need to be ready on time. You don't need to be getting ready. You need to be ready. Oh, I hit a nerve, didn't I? You go to an 8 o'clock movie, the projectionist can't look at his watch and go, Oh, it's 8 o'clock. I guess I'll, I'll mosey upstairs and turn the projector on. He's got to be at his spot before 8 o'clock ready to go. And when the clock ticks, start the movie. It's not about getting ready. It's about being ready. Now, I shared with you last week uh, my experience of being trained by another church where we go out and knock on doors. Those of you who are here remember that. For those of you who weren't, let me just kind of repeat that for a second because I want to build on it. Uh, we go out, we'll, we'll knock on a door, and simple re response is, is there any way we can pray for you? And probably about 75% of the people like that. They'll even come out on the porch, say, yes, here's some things we can pray about, and we pray with them. And then uh, we've been trained to do like a just a 15-second personal testimony. Man, there was a time I was fearful in my life. I didn't have any confidence, but I met Jesus Christ as my Savior, and now I have a life full of purpose. Do you have an experience like that? And then it's kind of a red light, green light, you know, yellow light. Uh, and, and if you think they're ready, then you can go into a little two-minute presentation of the gospel. And I mentioned last week there's always, I've done this, 40 years, there comes that lump in my throat, this, I call it the five seconds of fear. <laughs> am I going to open this conversation to the gospel, or am I going to say, well, oh, I prayed with them and I'm done, and back off. And so we really have to be ready to share what the Holy Spirit wants us to share. Now, I'm all about being prepared to share the gospel, I'm all for discipleship and evangelism training, but I found in my experience when I go out overly prepared, 
I start relying on my strength and not on the strength of the Holy Spirit. So uh, I was sharing with someone after the service last week. What I've started doing, you know, my friends who are lost and don't know Christ as their Savior, you know, I go play golf with them or go have, you know, a, a card game with them or something. I've always got this weight, this stress of, okay, how am I going to work Jesus into this thing, you know? And I started deciding, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to lunch, and I call it spiritual checkup time. So I call up my friend and say, okay, we're going to go to lunch. We're going to talk about spiritual things. And we're going to do this once or twice a year. So just be ready for it. It's going to be spiritual checkup time because I want to see where you are in your faith. So I found when those times come and I get all psyched up, you know, and I got my outline in my head and then, well, they're going to hear this and they're going to hear this and they're going to hear this. And I'm just, I'm, I'm fired up. Well, you can guess, rarely do those situations go well because I'm doing it in my own strength. And the whole point is be prepared, but you've got to depend upon the Holy Spirit and not upon your own strength and on your own training and those things. That kind of makes sense because discipleship is being dependent upon the Holy Spirit. So we need to be prepared. We need to be equipped, but we have to depend on God's Spirit. So it's about being ready, not getting ready. So let's go right into it. Luke chapter 12, verse 35. We got like 4 billion verses to cover today. So buckle up. Here we go. I'm going to talk as fast as I can. Here it is. Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Pretty straightforward, isn't it? Be dressed. Jesus doesn't say, okay, when I come and ask you to serve, I want you to get dressed. Be dressed. Be ready to go. Have your clothes on. It's not, oh, go get your lamp lit. It's have it lit already. When you come to church, it's not, let's get in the mood to worship. You come worshiping. You're already ready to give your best to the Lord. So in these next verses, notice the two times the word blessed is used. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. And blessed, there's the first time, blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. For truly I say to you, he will gird himself to serve. He'll have them recline at the table. He'll come up and he'll wait on them, whether he comes in the second watch or even the third, and finds them so blessed are those slaves. In a traditional Jewish wedding, the groom would would have a, a wedding supper, a feast uh, with his friends. Then he would go uh, to his bride's home and claim her and then bring her home. And he expected the servants to have everything ready, even if it was late. Uh, even if it was the second watch. The second watch was from 9 to midnight. And I would assume after you have a, have a wedding feast, you go get your bride. It could easily be midnight before you get there. It could be past that. It could be the third watch. But the blessing is the same each time. Be ready. You can't wait till the knock comes on the door. Oh, let's get the house ready. Let's get the food done. Readiness is emphasized again in verses 39 and 40. But be sure of this, if the head of house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would have not allowed his house to be broken into. You too, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you've got to be ready for this. Do we have any ladies here who are like really security conscious? 
and have to have all the doors locked up tight at night and you can't go to sleep. Anybody like that? I am married to one of those wonderful women like that. Now, it's not so bad because we've been married a long time, but it used to be I'm in bed. Is the garage door locked? Well, I'm pretty sure it is. But even if it's not, honey, there's a garage door. Or boom, boom, you know. Be prepared. Be ready. Jesus gives us this illustration. Now, there's a little debate over this phrase. When the master comes at an hour, you do not expect. There, there's a small group of scholars who think this is a reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ. That when he comes again, returns to the earth the second time, he comes to the clouds. And Jesus does use this imagery, these exact phrases in Matthew 24, where the context is Christ coming again. But the context here in Luke 12 um, seems to be just being ready, being prepared when God calls on us for service. And most scholars land on that interpretation. But either way, the idea is you can't get ready. You've got to be ready at a moment's notice to serve when God knocks at our door. Now, to whom is this message about readiness addressed? Peter. Don't you love Peter? Peter wants to know. Verses 41 to 42. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us? Or is it everybody else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Peter wants to know, Is this for everybody? Or Lord, are you, are, is this one of those times you're kind of picking on us? Sort of like the first time I pastored a church as a young guy and I was just doing my best to preach. And, you know, everybody, you'd stand at the back and everybody would come by and shake your hand. I remember one old guy would come back and he said, Pastor, you really told them today. And I thought, I told them, did, did you get anything out of this? You know, I think this is where Peter is. Uh, is this for us or are you telling them, you know, how this is going to shake out, you know? Now, notice many times Jesus will answer a question with a question. That's what he does here. And notice how he, he changes gears just a bit. He, he turns this conversation a little bit as he addresses Peter. It's not just about being ready to serve when Jesus calls on us. It's about being in charge of even other people. So he changes this application from service to the master of being the head servant in charge of the other servants and their needs. So Jesus doesn't address all servants. He addresses the head servant. I think he's saying something to Peter here. And if I can rephrase the question, who then, Peter, is this special steward that the master puts in charge of all the servants? Who's ready to do that? Peter, are you ready to do that? I believe there's a challenge here to Peter and to all future leaders in God's church to take care of the other servants of God and so we have to be ready not only to serve the master but to serve the master's servants who work with us and under us 
So the application here, of course, is to pastors and elders and life group leaders and when you work in the nursery and when you help out with the children and all those kinds of things. You have to be ready to serve the master and the master's servants as well. Nurture them, feed them God's word, care for their souls in every possible way. So I think it's leaders all of a sudden who are being addressed. So these following verses pick up on that. And here's that word again, blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. So doing what? Serving the master and serving the other servants. For truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, Oh, my master will be a long time coming. And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Well, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour he does not know and cut him in pieces. Boy, that's some pretty severe words there. And assign him to a place of unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who's been given much, much will be required. And to whom they've entrusted much of him, they will ask all the more. So there's this this weight of responsibility um, on a leader to perform God's tasks well. My wife and I have been watching this series on Netflix or something called The Crown. And it's about Queen Elizabeth and her ascension to the throne. And her father, King George... uh, became king when his brother abdicated and married an American actress. It was, it was thrust upon him. And then he died per, fairly young, and I think Elizabeth was 23, 4, 5 years old when she becomes a queen. And the whole series just this, this weight of leadership and how to respond and be a queen and make everybody happy and do the right thing and all of that. God has given leaders much responsibility, and we have an accounting to the Lord so we can't slack off. It's because the souls of God's people are at stake. So just pause for a moment and pray for your leaders in the church that they'll be responsible, responsible in serving and ministering and leading and casting vision because God continually asks for an accounting at all times. I also think this application goes beyond church leaders. All of us are included in verse 48. Everyone who's been given much, much will be required. That's all of us. God's given us spheres of responsibility. You know, one of the greatest responsibilities uh, we have is, is being a parent. You know, my boys, uh, they're certainly not perfect. But they understood the times when we had the talk. And I'm not talking about the sex talk. I'm talking about let's sit down. we got to talk about behavior and attitude talk. And I always preface my remarks with, son, and it's usually Jordan, our middle one, who's the pastor now. But y'all blurt that out on the recording because he'll probably listen in on this, you know. But he knows it's true. One day, I have to stand before God and give an account of how I raised you. I love you. 
But I am responsible to God for my stewarding of you. So these things need to stop. These things need to begin. And how, as your father, can I help you get there? We have responsibilities in many spheres of life. I believe this is a word to all church members. Because we're not here as church members just to be ministered to by the leaders. Each of us will stand before God for how we cared for other members as well. Sometimes that means getting on each other when we're being bad servants like what Jesus is talking about here. Not treating the other servants of God well. Acting in a way that is selfish. He wants all of us to be ready to serve each other, not get ready, but to bless others, disciple others. Every one of us are called to disciple someone else and pour into them. No matter where we are in our journey, we are called on to make disciples. That means sharing the gospel with other people. We've got that sphere of influence that God's given us. You are a steward of lost souls. So be ready to share your faith freely. Now, this stewarding of lost souls and standing firm for God can be very scary. Like I mentioned, I, I always get that time, you know, like, is this the time to say something? Do I move forward in this conversation? Because a lot of it is our fear of man, as we talked about last time, because it has a way of driving a wedge in our relationships. But it's not you, it's Jesus that is the wedge. And, and Jesus is very blunt at this point. Notice in verses 49 through 53, Jesus said, I have come to cast fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Wow. Jesus, are you just like having a bad day here? I've come to cast fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, but rather division. For from now on, five members in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They'll be divided father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Wow. Jesus didn't come so that everyone in the world would agree and just get along. He knew that people would say, Jesus, you're delusional. You're arrogant to proclaim yourself as the Son of God. His very nature and His message that He brought to us from the Father divided people, and it still does today. And notice the anguish here. Jesus said, I came to cast fire. Now, fire is always a symbol of judgment in the Bible. Jesus saying, I came to cast fire on the earth, and I wish it could happen right now. Have you ever heard Jesus talk like that? I wish it was already kindled. I want to bring justice right now to the injustice in this world. I'm ready to bring judgment right now. But something was holding him back. Before he could bring judgment, he had to undergo a baptism. Now, baptism just 
New Testament word to be submerged. Uh, we practice baptism here at the Ridge that way. Uh, when you make your profession, okay, you're baptized, you're, you're submerged. You are soaking wet. You're all the way under. But this word can refer to a lot of different things. A boat that goes underwater and is sinking is submerged. It's baptized. It can even be used of alcohol. A person who has too much alcohol is submerged. <laughs> They're under the influence. They're, bat They're dead drunk. A professor may be submerged in his reading and studies and just oblivious to other things. But Jesus is returning to a, 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 a special baptism, a submersion. And it's one of death and sacrifice. He knows he is going to be submerged under the load of man's sin. He is going to be soaking. He is going to be baptized in our evil and our rebellion against the Father. And he's distressed about it, but he knows it must be accomplished. Do you grasp the dilemma here? You know, we read about Gethsemane, but there were many little mini Gethsemanes leading up to it. He desires to bring justice and judgment and set things right in this world, but the love of the Father is holding him back because judgment cannot come until the price of sin is paid in full. And once it's paid in full, people have the choice to accept salvation or reject it and receive this judgment that has been momentarily stayed. And we might do well to meditate on these verses this week. John, I think there's a song to be written here somewhere in this. Back in the 1700s, a great awakening swept through America a lot of it was at the hands of a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards. He had one sermon. He preached it thousands of times. It was called Sinner, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That, 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 does that sound like a sermon you want to go see or hear? People flock to this. And as you read it, it it's not just this hellfire damnation. It is a plea that is being discussed here. He talks about how the floods of judgment are ready to come, but God is holding them back. The one I really like is, is God has a bow in his hand and the arrow, and it, the, the string is pulled back, and it is taunt. It is ready to fire, but he holds back, waiting for people to come to repentance. This baptism, this dying on the cross will divide people. It will split families. That's exactly what happened in the Roman culture in the first century. It still happens today. But loyalty and fidelity to Christ must take precedent over any earthly relationship. And we've got to be ready for that. Our problem is we're so myopic. We, we only tend to see just a little piece of our life and we think we know everything based on that and we think we can rightly discern everything but we totally miss what's going on around us and so Jesus begins to address this in verse 54 and he was also saying to the crowds okay look I would just like to bring fire but I've got to undergo this this baptism 
But let me tell you something else. Guys, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower's coming. So it turns out. No big deal. See a rain cloud? Oh, it's going to rain. Pat yourself on the back. When you see, see a south wind blowing, you say, it's going to be a hot day. And it turns out that way. You hypocrites. You know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and sky. Why do you not analyze the present time? What's going on right now? And why do you not, even on your own initiative, judge what is right? And then he gives a very peculiar parable we're going to unlock here in a second. For while you are going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, on your way there, make effort to settle with him so that he may not drag you before the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison. I say to you, you will not get out of there until you have paid every last cent. Now, let's look at this big picture again. People can judge the weather for a moment, but they miss the storm that's going on inside of their life and the storm that is all around them. They might know when, when the rain is going to come or it's going to be a hot day, but the kingdom of God was at hand and they could not see it. The Messiah was right in front of their noses and they refused to recognize it. So Jesus gives a little illustration. Let me paraphrase it, if I may. When you get served papers for a lawsuit... You only see a narrow part of it, and you probably think you're right. you got a good case. But you need to consider there's another side. And you need to come to an agreement with your opponent before the matter goes to court. Don't overplay your hand. Because if you don't settle beforehand, the judge just might have you put in jail and you have to pay a fine. The assumption here is that the defendant has a bad case, it's inevitably going to go against him, but he can't see it. Oh, I'm right on this deal. This is slam dunk. He thinks he has a great case, but he's misjudged the times, the law, and the circumstances. And I believe what Jesus is implying here is this. Every person has a bad case of sin in the presence of a holy God. But we can't always see it. We compare ourselves to others. We, hey, well, I've got a pretty good case here. And Jesus calls them hypocrites because they thought they were good enough and they had a strong enough case to stand before holy God. And what Jesus is implying is if we are smart and wise, we will realize the poor case we have. And we will make peace with God while there's still time. Because Jesus is going through his baptism. He's submerging himself in our sin so that we might receive salvation and escape the fire of judgment that is coming. So we've got to be ready. We have a bad case of sin as we move into chapter 13. And Jesus continues with this idea that we need to see our sin and make peace with God before judgment happens. And so in chapter 13, 
Now, on the same occasion, man, this is, a long, this is a long day Jesus is having. He's doing a lot of talking. On that same occasion when he just said, you got a bad case before God, you need to deal with it, make peace with God, some were present who reported to him about Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this fate? <laughs> Are you going to compare your sin with theirs? Is this where you're going? You got a bad case. May not seem as bad as this one, but you've got a bad case. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Stop comparing your sin to the sins of others and your fate to the fate of other people. Your case before God is not as good as you think it is. Luke records two historical events that we really don't know much about, two disasters. We have to speculate a little bit. There was a time when, when Pilate improved the water system of Jerusalem and he proposed using money from the temple bank to do it. Now, that set the Jews off in a flurry. That'd be like the city of Carrollton say, you know, we want to do the water mains down by City Hall, and Ridge, we, we want you to pay for it. Y'all got money in the bank. That's not going to go over very well. And so there may have been some uprisings. We don't know if this was the occasion, but a bunch of Galileans were slain in the temple and blood was mingled with the sacrifices. And so a lot of people thought, well, man, man, those were really bad sinners. And Jesus brings up another one. He talks about the falling of the Tower of Siloam. It kills 18 people. It is an unknown event to us, but it was very fresh in the minds of Jesus and the people who heard him that day. But here's the point. The Jews were connecting disaster and tragedy to the level of sin committed by the people who died. They somehow thought that those people were worse sinners than they were. Therefore, they had a better case before God. And Jesus sets the record straight. Many people suffer tragedy. Some of their own faults, some of the faults of others. But none are worse sinners than others. This is a call to repent. The emphasis is to repent because we're all going to die someday. Repent so that we don't have to perish eternally. Be ready to die because you know it's going to happen. And then we close out these verses with another warning and injunction in verses 6 through 9. Keeping with this need to repent, we don't have a good case before God. And he began telling this parable. A man had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. So he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I've been coming looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Just cut it down. I've come to bring fire. <laughs> Just cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And the 
And the vineyard dresser keeper answered and said to him, Well, let, let it alone, sir, for this year too. Until, you know, I'll, I'll dig around it, I'll put in some fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. We have a God of a second chance. Just ask Peter, John Mark, Paul. This is a parable that makes it quite clear that there will be one final chance. And if we refuse chance after chance, if God's appeal and challenge come again and again in vain, the day finally comes. Not when God has shut us out, but when we by deliberate choice have shut ourselves out. God save us from that. And praise be to God, we've got another year of grace to produce fruit. Another year of grace, another opportunity. And God doesn't want you to get ready to produce fruit. He wants you to produce fruit. Right now, he is ready to pour into you. He is ready to dig around the base of your spiritual life. If you've accepted Christ as Savior, he's willing to fertilize. He's willing to, to pour in you. He's willing to bring people for you um, to be, or for people to disciple you. He's going to pour into you for you to serve and be ready. He's going to pour in you by having you grow to disciple other people. We've got another year of grace. To produce fruit. What a day. What a day of teaching. Be ready. Don't say, well, I'll get ready. Right now as we come to share in communion. This great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Where he sought to bring fire and judgment, but the love of God stayed it because he had a submersion to go through. Don't come and take communion this morning thinking, okay, I'm going to get ready. I'm going to do better. Say, I'm, I'm there, Lord. Let's go. Let's go. I'm dressed. The lamp is lit. Whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Let's bow our heads.